Let's talk about what this could look like for the next couple of weeks. Um, really, the idea here is to scratch the surface on this issue of parenting to kind of whet your appetite for a little deeper study, uh, a little more comprehensive look at parenting from its foundations to then its applications. And so uh, we'll take a session or two to talk together here, and then as questions keep coming in, uh, we'll farm those out and then be ready to have some folks help us answer those. There's still forums on the stand or on the counter in the lobby, so as you have questions coming up, uh, write them down, drop them in the box, or email them uh, to the church email address. Um, we want to have a few specific answers for your specific questions. And so, really, the worst case scenario is if your question is so out there, we won't know what you're asking about and won't address it, all right? So, there's just, that, that's the only thing that could possibly go wrong. And so, whatever your question is, feel free to put it in there, and at the very least, uh, if you want us to get back to you personally, jot your name on there, and we'll try to follow up with you. Um, but I want us to think together a little bit about uh, this concept that we've all about, most have experienced, well, all have experienced, because you had a parent, even if you're not one. Uh, but I want to think on this matter of parenting. Now, not everyone present is a parent, all right? Uh, at least not at right now, um, in the sense of having minor children in your home that you are responsible for. But even without minor children in the home at present, you should know something about parenting, and let's try to brainstorm on why. Why should someone who's not a parent with minor children in their home right now be listening to instruction regarding parenting? All right, that's the question that we need to answer. So think this through. Basically, you know, think of somebody who doesn't have kids in their home and you explain to them why they should sit in a parenting class. Because if I didn't have kids in the home, I'd be thinking, well, show up at 1014. What do you think? What are some reasons why somebody without kids should hear about parenting. Uh, Joshua, then Daniel. <laughs> All right. That was the first one I had down, too. Someday, that may change. Uh, and you could say, oh, I'm 46 years old, and I don't know if... I okay, well, you haven't heard the stories of people that are asked to adopt kids or become you know, a step-parent or a godparent, whatever you might call it, and you just never know... Uh, how God's going to work. So someday you may be caring for minor children in your home. Uh, what else? Daniel? Yes. Um, let's see. I guess I had that one down as... Uh, well, it's number two. I said it's the present reality for the people that you are supposed to be encouraging and exhorting. Uh, if we're doing life together and you're part of the church, it doesn't necessarily matter whether or not you have children. You're, you're encouraging and exhorting those that God has asked to parent minor children in their home. So you should know something of that so you can speak truth to them. Uh, what else? 
All right, so because the Bible speaks of this relationship we have with the Heavenly Father, there's probably something we should have in our minds about a biblical concept of parenting. Uh, It's going to help us because we are perpetually sons of the living God. Uh, All right, what else? Why should a person without children sit in a parenting class? They may be a parent someday. They can encourage people who are parents. Um, We are being parented by God. Yeah, Brooks. Yes, you start talking the parenting concepts of obedience, or in the workplace, we might say, going by the guidelines of the company, um, honor to authority um, from the parental perspective, or think as a boss, a coworker, not provoking someone to wrath. There's all kinds of principles of family life, parenting, children to parents, parents to children, that are actually relational principles of wisdom that apply elsewhere. Um, so think more broadly than just the application of the truth of parenting to your children, because you might not have them, but you're thinking, how does this apply wisely to other situations of life? There's another reason. Let me try to walk you into it. Um, How would you explain the advantage of uh, having Sunday school teachers or nursery workers or youth sponsors Um, coaches for ball teams, Uh, how does that factor into this idea of parenting? And the answer isn't, oh, good, I don't have to do any work. I can have those people do it all. They'll fix them. What's What's the biblical benefit of all those kinds of people? Yeah, Dennis? Some of you are old enough to remember Hillary Clinton and her saying it takes a village. Um, and, and obviously, in the context of big government doing it all for us, we would have some concerns about that. But the reality is, If you apply that in the right context, it's not far from the truth. Uh, The the concept of the local church, um, it's God's idea. And so he's saying that you, as a believing dad or a believing mom, as a couple, are to be involved in the church. And they're to exhort and encourage and... And, and do all that for you and you for them. So all that's happening. And then he gives you children. And he says, now raise those children in the context of all this exhorting and encouragement and you know, confrontation at times. Uh, so the reality is there is an influence that comes to your children through a lot of other people that you should be recognizing as an incredible gift. Um, there is no virtue in saying, I'm not going to trust other people with my kids. Now, 
there, there may be in the sense of their physical safety reasons that you are guarded in how you allow your kids to be in certain contexts. But if you're going to wholesale reject the influence of other adults, you're essentially rejecting what God has said is good for you and for your children. Um, you are not helping them understand that they really do have to obey God if you're saying, I'm the only one who can tell you what to do. Um, you have to start at some point with your children expanding their understanding of authority uh, beyond yours because, frankly, any one of us would have to say our, our presentation of authority is completely imperfect. Um, there is no perfection in it. Hence, I say completely imperfect. Not because it's the worst it could be, but it is absolutely not perfect. And so any other influence of authority, obviously in a context of safety, we're not going to send, you know, we're, we're just careful. That's why we have nursery policies and multiple people in there and safeguards and such. Um, but that common sense wisdom in place, we should be a people that recognize, I would love to have some of you influencing my children. So, oh, you're going to teach? Great. I'm going to make my, sure my kid's here in that. Because I say it at home, and you wonder, is it getting through? And now they have, now they have a soccer coach saying something to them, and they, they have a Sunday school teacher, and they have a youth sponsor, and then you come over to the house, and they're getting to know other adults that hopefully when, when Evan goes running through the hallways, you know, after church, one of you says, hey, hey, boys, Settle down a little bit. And they don't look at you like, who's that? Like, I don't listen to those people. Even though he might be very good at listening to his parents, uh, he needs to learn, wait a minute, there are other influences that have every right and responsibility in the context of the local church to speak into their lives. Uh, grandparents, aunts and uncles, there are all kinds of relationships that help us understand, wait a minute, I'm not in this alone, that's hopeful, and I better not do this alone, that's just arrogant. So recognize that even for those who don't have children, they should sit in a parenting class because they realize I may very well be called upon to parent, and it may be my opportunity to nurture and admonish, just like a parent would do for their own child, but because I'm part of God's church and there are children here. So we either have to have strict policies that say, don't let anybody of a certain age, older, speak to any of our kids because they're not parents and they're not our kids' parent. Or we recognize, wait a minute, God has designed the church to be a place of incredible influence. Um, and so wrestle with that and certainly find the boundaries of safety, uh, especially in this day and age when we hear so much about abusive situations. But that, that had best not paralyze us so that we neglect giving our children the, the incredible gift of the influence of God's people. Um, there's a lot to think on there, and books are written about caring for our children wisely. Um, but God gave us a book that says one of the wise things you do in caring for your children is let them be exposed to God's people. Let them hear the voice of the congregation, not just in collective Sunday morning worship, but in the process of life. It's life side by side. So 
even if you don't have children, be greatly encouraged. God wants you to be a part of the raising of the next generation. And you do that in the context of the church. All right. Let's talk about the timetable of parenting. For me, the summer feels like it's flying by. Grant, what do you think? Yeah, school's coming. It really is. We'll be back to school in no time and back to that other kind of routine that just, it is what it is, but there's something about summer that makes us at least feel a little bit like we can relax, and and yet it's flown by. We're on the last day of July already, and I feel like I'm on the brink of June, like, okay, surely summer and the rest is coming. Um, the past week has flown by for some of you. I talked to a couple already, and, and just seemed like a busy week. And we were just here Sunday, and I raced through the week, and you're back again. Well, I came across some parenting resources recently, little resources, and they're designed for every age, newborn, one, two, three, four, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, and it goes right up through 12th grade. And in each little booklet, uh, parents are reminded of how many weeks they have left to parent their children. And it was just kind of fascinating to think in smaller numbers than days, but bigger numbers than years. Because if you just talk years, oh, you got 18 years to raise that kid. It's like, oh my word, these first 18 months have about finished us off, right? Uh, So that just seems so long, but if you number it in days, thousands and thousands of them, that seems too many too. But the weeks kind of works. So you bring your newborn home from the hospital and they estimate, depending on how long you were there, you have 936 weeks. Now that seems like a lot, 936. But by the time they go to kindergarten, you're down to 676 weeks. That sounds like a significant drop, like, whoa, Those were important years. We better get busy, right? Your child hits the fourth grade, and you're halfway done with your parenting of your children in the home. Fourth grade doesn't seem that old. Evan's nine, and I think he's going in the fourth grade. My wife in here? Oh, she is. Good. I'm maybe not the most comprehensively involved homeschool dad, so you won't be reading any books on the father's role in homeschooling, bye. No, it'll be a ghostwriter if my name's on that book. So, When your child hits ninth grade, you've only got 208 weeks left. So if you have a child approaching that age, you, you don't have many weeks left, especially in your mind when you're thinking, aren't there like 52 in a year? Uh, as they start their senior year, your full-time in-house parenting is numbered at 39 weeks. And so the old saying is true. Parenting is slow in days, but long in... No, that's not it. It's fast in years. Yeah, slow in days, because the days drag by. What's that? Yeah, days are long, years are short. The days go by slow, and you just can't wait till that two o'clock nap or something, right? And the days drag on. And then somehow, and many of you are there, uh, you look back and it wasn't the days, but the years flew by. And it's just the perspective of 
the load that God has asked you to carry on that day and in that season of life. But indeed, the, the parenting days are slow, uh, but the years go by so fast. So be reminded, and those little parenting booklets even suggest, you know, buy a jar at Hobby Lobby and fill it with 936 marbles, you know, when you bring your child home from the hospital, and then take one out each week and be reminded of your parental duties. And I thought, man, that would be so cool. But like after three years, I'd be like trying to count how many marbles I'm supposed to take out because I didn't keep up with it. And some of you might be better at that, but maybe just the jar sitting on the shelf would remind us, hey, the days and the weeks are quickly passing by. And so I think we're wise from time to time to, to be reminded uh, of our parenting because it's just not something that we're going to be doing as we do with minor children in the home all of our lives. Um, it's a stewardship. And not only is it like, oh, yeah, sweet and sentimental, the time's going quickly, but we're also going to stand before God and give an account for how we admonish them in the Lord. And so if the weeks have gone by and we haven't done that well, by God's grace and leaning on the prophecy of Joel that the Lord can restore the years that were wasted, we dive into it wholeheartedly now and get it right uh, by God's grace. So we're talking about parenting. Uh, let's define it. Uh, w without some perfect definition, uh, what are elements of a definition of parenting that you would want to put onto our brainstorming table? All right? We've called this a forum. Eventually, that will mean having a couple of voices answer questions, but a forum is really a, a giant conversation. And so, what is parenting in your mind? How would you define it? And if it's not a full definition, at least give us some ideas to put on the table. So, who wants to start with our rough outline of a parenting definition? Roy? Discipleship. That grabs up a biblical word, uh, Jesus calling men to come and learn from him, to follow him as a learner, a watcher, learner, imitator. Um, so discipleship could be uh, a good anchor for thinking of parenting. Granted, you know, you know obviously more of a, a very biblical word, uh, not all your words have to be Bible, you know, we'll see how this goes. So what else? What goes with that? Instructing them in the way they ought to go. So a lot of Proverbs weight in that. So showing them with or without words, so by example, uh, so we have a life example, making disciples, instructing them in the way they should go. What other words come to mind? What do you think? Caring, protecting, parenting words. Because obviously somebody could be a parent, and yet you see them in handcuffs being, you know, 
led before the judge because there wasn't care and protection. There was abuse or violence. So clearly those words factor into parenting. We might think like, well, it's this process of you know, raising or what. But you see there's a lot of ideas that are wrapped up in this, in this role uh, that we have. Um, we often use the language of bringing up because of some of the Bible translations. Um, caring was mentioned. Uh, we talk about raising children, like raising corn and beans, like somehow you, you know, raising them. Well, we know what it means. We, you know, it's in our minds at least. Um, and then generally we think of a duration for, let's call it like parenting proper, and we think hospital to 18 or 19, or some of us came home from college and still lived at home for a little bit, 20, 21. But somewhere in those first two decades, we'll call that parenting proper, where you are very actively, uh, and, and by God's authority, you are responsible for those kids. Um, obviously, in those last years of, you know, Growing up, you're really focusing on their independence, and that's where parents struggle at times. We think we hang on till the end of authority, and no, we're supposed to be passing that off. And, you know, they start hitting those teen years. It's time to start building responsibilities so that by the end, it's just like they're gone, and it's not, you know, uh, oh, cross our fingers and hope they make it. It's like, no, they've been making it. We've been helping them make it, and now they just do it somewhere other than in our house. Um, So that birth to, we'll call it independent adulthood, which hopefully isn't 38. You know, we want to keep that in a a realm of responsibility for them. Um, It's not that you don't keep parenting. Um, You know, my parents sit in the church. Maybe they bite their tongue and think they should parent me more still, but basically their job was done, but... I'm not saying parenting never happens after that. I'm just saying we're thinking of it primarily in the care of these minor children that we are helping to become adults. After that, we have to recognize, especially by marriage, those children are not under our authority. They are now a new home. Um, But are we still parents? Well, yes, we all understand that. Um, But let's talk parenting mainly in the bringing up of children through these stages of development and the process of discipleship for those first, we'll call it 18 years. So bringing into the language of discipleship and all this care and nurture is is the idea of stewardship. um, That you're doing what you do as a parent caring for minor children as to the Lord and not to men. Um, That's how we're supposed to do all that we do. Um, They are a gift from God. Proverbs and Psalms make that clear. Um, Now it's your responsibility as a steward to be found faithful with the task of instilling in them the truth of God's word. Yeah, it, it, the stewardship concept is, is going to be big in any concept of parenting because 
it's going to address the helicopter parent who is so fearful or engaged because they think it is all up to them. Everything hangs in the balance for the outcome of their children based on what they do. And one misstep, one one moment of not paying attention, one moment and they eat the wrong thing or fall off the slide at the park or get kidnapped by a stranger, depending on how dramatic your fears are. Uh, one lapse in your perfect parenting and it's all over for good. Um, the stewardship principle addresses that. Um, the, the children aren't yours. God has given them to you and has asked you to instill in them thoughts about God. And yet the ultimate responsibility for their well-being has to be God's. Otherwise, you don't have an understanding of what it means for God to work everything according to the counsel of his will. Um, So stewardship. I'm just one little cog in the wheel. Now, obviously, I'm not responsible in the same way to give truth to your children as you are because I don't live with them and spend all my time with them. I don't rise and walk in the way and lie down in my, as Deuteronomy 6 says, in the way you do at your house. That's what I do at my house. And in all that living and speaking, I'm responsible in a unique way for my kids and you are for yours. But still, I have to step back and realize I I don't have the ultimate say here. I, I just can't protect my children as much as I might want to. Otherwise, I wouldn't let them get behind the wheel of a car. You know how dangerous that is? Like, if I really cared for them and didn't want them ever to get hurt, I would say, don't ever take that risk. I won't let you. Um, But eventually, we just have to realize there are things that are completely out of our control, and we can long for their safety and well-being. But I remember one of my best friends growing up, and his little seventh-grade brother, you know, just started getting some bruises on the playground, And next thing they know, he's diagnosed in stage four leukemia, and he dies two years later. And if you ever watch golf like I do on Sunday and see all the kids from St. Jude's and everything, you realize you're just one doctor's visit away from your life being completely turned upside down. So what do we do with that? We realize God is in control of this, and I just do what he's asked me to do. And whether he gives you no children and your influences on others, or whether he gives you one or two or three or four or five, six, seven, eight, whatever he does, you're just a steward of that. And everything you do had better be done in faith. Otherwise, all you've done is gotten your kids a little further down the road of self-dependence, and they'll manage all of the circumstances of life just like you did by trying to make sure you can take care and control everything And the reality is you can't. You live by faith, and that doesn't mean you're you're absent of any wisdom. No, we have all kinds of wisdom to to be safe and to be helpful and uh, to be smart. And we can think through nutrition and rest and all these things. But you can't nutrition your kids into trusting the Lord. You have to demonstrate that kind of faith. You have to teach them that God is trustworthy, that he is good. And so that the stewardship is really big, and we'll have to keep coming back to that. 
to make sure we understand, wait a minute, I don't have to feel all the burden of making my kid turn out. I don't have to feel the burden of absolute protection. No, I, I'm just kind of in the place of God representing his authority and love and protection in a very limited way. Uh, and hopefully my kids will see in me that character of God to do all that for them, but not like God does. Uh, Let's make sure our parenting steers our children to a greater authority, a greater protection, a greater love. On any topic, our key question should be, what does the Bible say? And so I want to start there with this matter of parenting. Um, The starting place for any parenting and for questions that get answered in a parenting kind of Q&A Though you might hear somebody say something like, well, what we did with our kids was, or my parents did this, that's okay. I understand casual conversation, but in in making biblical arguments, we have to come back to the scriptures. It's not what your parents did. It's not what you've researched. It's not what you did with your first kid that is true. Therefore, you do it with the next one. No, it's what has God said. Our ideas must be subordinate to God's ideas. Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So God knows everything. The secret things belong to the Lord. However, God has revealed truth. The things that he has revealed belong to us. But the God who knows everything and reveals truth is saying this is for your good and it's especially good for you to pass it down so that others come to know this God who has revealed himself for their good. So parenting becomes very important because it's it's a step in the process of God revealing himself. And your kids might not understand everything about God the way you do, but the design is that in some way you're communicating to them this God who knows all things and yet has revealed himself to us for our benefit. That's where you stand in the chain of divine revelation. God reveals himself to you and he says so that you would be blessed and so that your children as well would know him. So what does the Bible say? That's the question we ask when we're thinking through parenting. The way you do it, the way you see someone else do it, and you think, I don't think that's very right or wise. Well, why not? What does the Bible say? And when we get to the bedrock Bible principles, we can be pretty dogmatic. But what happens when the Bible doesn't specifically say cloth diapers or disposable, right? I don't know. What do you do then? (laughs) What do you do if the Bible doesn't say, if it doesn't specifically address an issue? Can you sleep with your kids in your bed? Or should you put them in their own room? Well, I mean, I can give you my opinion, but what is that worth, right? Because we want to know what the Bible says. You know, should you put them on a strict schedule? Make them take nap times and 
don't feed them so often or should you kind of be a little more loose and free and well the debates rage but what does the Bible say if the Bible doesn't specifically address an issue a question of parenting what should we do and that question's not rhetorical so I want to know what do you think what should we do if the Bible doesn't specifically address some of the hot topics of parenting? What do we do then? Ask God for wisdom. It fits with the James asking of wisdom because you've done what you've could to, to come to the scriptures and see is there any wisdom there that I should have? But in the throes of parenting, in the midst of it, you don't know what to do. James says, ask for wisdom. James isn't in contrast to Proverbs that says, if you want wisdom, you better seek for it like a treasure. James isn't saying, oh, don't do that. That takes too much work. Just ask God for it. No, James is saying, in the midst of the trial, is parenting a trial? Yeah, let's be honest. Yes, it is. Uh, in the midst of it, when the waves are crashing, you just call out for help. It's not that you haven't sought for wisdom. It's Now, it doesn't look like the Bible addresses some of these parenting things and how to do some of it. So what do you do? You ask God for help. It's a perfect start. What else? How do you make a decision when the Bible doesn't say, thou shalt or thou shalt not? Guiding principles of wisdom. The principle is there, and you can think of a Proverbs that often might give a principle, but it doesn't make every application for you. It's sufficient to kind of stand over a whole lot of scenarios. And so you take some of those and you think, okay, based on the wisdom of this truth, maybe we should start doing this, or maybe we should stop doing that. You make the best decision you can, with what you see as true. Kind of building, oh, yes, Roy. So we add to the crying out for wisdom. Ask God for wisdom for your parenting. We add to that walking in the spirit or the language of being filled with the Spirit. Galatians would add to walking in the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, as if you're in the marching band and you're trying to stay in line. Where's the Spirit in this? I want to do it that way. Yes, thank you. Uh, it was the last thought I had down as well. Don't be dogmatic about your conclusions based on conscience or your application of the principles. Once the Bible says this is what you should do, we all can agree to that. But once we start trying to apply wisdom to specific applications like should you sleep, have them in your bed, or put them in their room? Should you go this, you know, cloth diaper or disposable? Should you do this way or that way? This way or that way? Schedule or non-schedule? All those things um, that can kind of become stereotypical and we have names for them. And I'll, Wait a minute. If the Bible hasn't said clearly this is the way to do it, 
and we're all trying to now apply wisdom to practical matters, then why do we talk so much about it? Other than we're insecure and we're trying to prove to everybody that we're really smart and have come to a great conclusion. Let it go. Do what you want to do in, in conscience and based on the wisdom of scriptures and just be comfortable doing it. We don't have to worry if somebody else does it differently. Now, you can have conversations with people and ask why, and you might change your position and try that. But the idea here is, no, be dogmatic about what is really clear in Scripture, and this applies far beyond parenting. But then if the Bible doesn't specifically say, recognize that as believers we we can approach these things in other ways and realize that that's fine. They can do that differently. Uh, You know, I recently... I had this conversation with someone at the beginning of the summer and now the end of the summer. You know, the first beginning of the summer was should they go to Disney World or not? Uh, later, and just recently, should I still have Disney Plus and let my kids watch, you know, Disney show? Well, listen, the Bible is very clear about how we should be aware of the world's pressing us into the, its mold and we need to be holy. The application of that. Is, is going to be a matter of, okay, how do I see this wisdom being applied in my family? Um, we would have to know all the other influences in your family besides just Disney+. Plus. If your home is just constantly bombarded by all things worldly, then we might say, man, I, that looks like overload of the world's ideas. But can we just go up to someone and say, if you have Disney+, Plus, you're in sin? Because it's like, oh, yeah, because Disney's in the news. But, you know, the whole Netflix hoopla kind of has died down, and you don't hear everybody raving about, we shouldn't have Netflix anymore. And frankly, you know, nobody's saying that about the movie theaters, although they didn't for a lot of us growing up. We couldn't go to the movie theaters because that was the influence. But suddenly it's like we want to have the liberty. Oh, we're not old school, and you can go to the movie theater and watch what you want to watch. Oh, but you can't have Disney+. And it's like, wait a minute. We're... We're starting at the applications and all the differences, and we're, we're failing to take it back to the foundation. What has God said? And now how is your brother or sister trying to apply that to, to their family? Now, here's the thing. I, I think you need to be ready for a brother or sister in Christ to ask you a question like, hey, do you think that's the best idea? Because you should have thought it through, and you should have an answer. You should be able to say, hey, we're being careful about this. And when we go to the theater or when we watch Disney Plus, you know, we, yeah, we want to make sure and talk about things. Whatever. Have an answer. Don't be offended if somebody asks you, is that a good idea? Thank them and say, hey, thanks for being concerned about me because it can be kind of a frog in the kettle kind of experience. We can kind of just get dulled in our senses to holiness and because we're bombarded by the world. So, yeah, that, I'm glad you're concerned about me. Don't be defensive. Uh, know where you stand and why, but recognize that on matters that aren't clearly addressed in Scripture with a specific instruction, then we've got a lot of work to do in the application of wisdom. So pray, walk in the Spirit, because what, what that means is we're trying to do parenting by faith. If it's not a faith, your 18 years of parenting your children in your home do not please God. 
Because God's concern is, apart from faith, you might just be raising little Pharisees who see your Phariseeism, and they don't see that you're doing this in faith in the God who makes it all possible. They, they just see all of the performance and do's and don'ts. Um, that's just one reason why it has to be done in faith. Um, apart from faith, we can't please God. The just live by faith, and that means in our parenting. So, we know that God is the source of parenting truth. How does the Bible reveal the concept of parenting to us? So, imagine you knew nothing about parenting. You'd never even heard of it. I don't know how that's even possible. How could we hand you God's revelation and expect you to know anything about this concept of parenting? If you just started at the beginning, how would you know anything about parenting? How would it be revealed? What is this concept? How does it come to us? What do you think? Okay, so a couple of answers already. One, if you started reading at the beginning, you would find parenting essentially woven into the account of creation and the fall. Genesis 1, there is a blessing slash command. Theologians marvel at this first command of scripture because it seems to be more of a benediction even. It is so good that it's this incredible blessing, and yet it comes in the form of a command. And that is, be fruitful and multiply. So, built into the creation narrative of God saying, I'm, I'm forming this out of nothing, and the actual turning loose of creation is this benediction, blessed, because you will be able to be fruitful and multiply but a command that says, this is how life will work. So parenting, the being fruitful and multiplying, is introduced to us right on the heels of God making male and female. Before we even understand Genesis 2 and how it actually unfolded, just the very idea that God made man in his image, he created male and female both, and then this benediction command, be fruitful and multiply. You could argue that aside from creation and some of the revelation of God, subtle influence of the Trinity in the creation narrative, one of the first biblical truths that unfolds is the reality of somehow there's going to be this thing of together being fruitful and multiplying and replenishing the earth. God's glory is supposed to fill the whole earth. We see that over and over again in the Psalms. So the reality is, one of the earliest truths of Scripture, other than God made everything, is that God was going to use parenting for his glory to fill the earth. Suddenly, parenting takes on this incredible privilege and responsibility without knowing anything else about parenting. We haven't gotten to 
God is our Father. We haven't gotten to parents, don't provoke your children to wrath, bring them up. All we know is the God who created everything says, I'm going to use parenting to fill the earth with my glory. So whatever weeks you have left, you know, whether it's 600 and some because your kid's only kindergarten age or whether you're down to the last 100 weeks because your kid's going into their junior year of high school, however many weeks you have left, realize those weeks are to be spent making sure you've equipped that other human being to represent God's glory in whatever part of the earth he takes them to. So Genesis 1, parenting for the glory of God. Genesis 3, the proto-euangelion, the proto-evangel, the first good news that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. Eventually, through parenting, a son would come. So it's built right there into the language of the curse, which was actually revealing the blessing of God's promised salvation. A son was going to come. A son would be parented. And he would fulfill all that the father desired for him to do. That's quite a story of parenting, but it's the story of the gospel and the incarnation and God becoming man. Genesis 4, the effects of sin on the family. We saw it as early as chapter 3 as Adam was confronted by God and immediately he was able to fire up the school bus, sit in the driver's seat and throw his wife under that bus and drive right over her saying, the woman that you gave me did it. So right away we see sin's effect on how a man and wife are going to relate to one another. And then we see that man and his wife standing at the grave of one of their sons who was murdered by the other. And we realize that sin is always going to be a factor in this effort of being fruitful and multiplying so that God's glory will be known. Your little cherub that you brought from home from the hospital is completely capable of murdering that other little cherub you brought home from the hospital. That's what you're up against. That's why you walk in the Spirit. That's why you cry out. You see, the great hope isn't that some old person in our church is going to tell you how they raised me or how they raised their kids and, oh, this is what you need to do. No, the great hope is that you throw yourself on the mercy of God and say, God, let me be an influence of righteousness. Would you work your grace in the hearts of these children who are capable of killing each other? That's the devastation of sin. One of the questions that was submitted is, how, how, do you, how do you parent adult children that weren't raised in a Christian home? Maybe you weren't a believer then, and you feel like, what have I done? The wasted years, what is the hope? The hope is what it's always been, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 
I know you so love those children that you wish you could give something, but it, it would never be enough. Only the love of God is the hope for those situations. But for those of us that are still doing the job, let us realize we have an enemy, and that enemy has, has ruined us by his temptation to pull us into sin, and we're battling against that evil in the hearts of our children. In essence, you, you can't afford to be inconsistent. You can't afford to be soft. You can't afford to be out of balance here. By God's grace, with prayer, walking in the Spirit, living by faith, even in our imperfections, God uses us to war against that sin nature. And by His Holy Spirit, eventually obliterates it and makes them partakers of the divine nature. Our part in that is to keep putting God in their head. We'll see that in our words for nurture and admonition. Just keep steering them to God. That's why when you're firm and say, no, you're not going to do that, or here's the consequence, you're beginning to plant the seed that sin, breaking boundaries, has consequence. It really is a big deal. And so as we talk parenting here, I know it, it, it's kind of fun and it's nice to hear ideas from other people who have parented and, and we'll do that at least for sure the last three weeks. But this week we just need to get back to our foundation and realize what is this all about? What I want you to do next week is to bring with you, here's your assignments, bring a Bible pa passage that speaks of parenting. If you were handed this book and knew nothing of the concept, what passages would you come across that speak to parenting? So you bring that with you and then continue to brainstorm on questions. Let me read the ones that have been submitted so far that we're going to attempt to tackle. Is a Christian couple required biblically to have children? And how many kids should a Christian have? How do you know when your quiver borrowing from Proverbs, is full. What advice would you give for structuring and prioritizing family worship? It is, is it unbiblical for me not to spank or discipline my children? What's the most important thing a mother should focus on? And what is the most important thing a father should focus on? The topic of unsaved adult children, specifically ones not raised in a Christian home. The topic of parent responsibility for the behavior of their children in public, at school, or at church. What is the proper attitude or balance for teaching your children respect to other authorities in their lives? How does this relate to grandparents, Sunday school teachers, and adults in the church? At what age is a, is a child defiant? And what actions reveal the self? I have a hard time saying no to what my child wants. Is it wrong to be too nice? If God is sovereign, does it matter if I parent well? So that's a start. A few deep questions, a few medium depth questions. You may have one that's even less deep than those. Add them to the list, and these are the ones we'll try to address with at least a beginning of an answer. Uh, but this week, I think we've done well. Some of you have brought good help.
help to our conversation. Specifically, we pray, we walk in the Spirit, we live by faith, because our days of parenting are numbered, and it's an enormous task. God created everything, and he says, parents, continue the glory of God by parenting and filling the earth with God's glory. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Forgive us for using it, but perhaps adding it to our collection of parenting resources. Um, We just cannot elevate the internet to the same position of authority and blessing. And so take us back to your word first and foremost. Encourage us in the incredible task of parenting. And this week, may we, may we see through the little frustrations that will be there and, and just see again Genesis 1 and know that this task of parenting fits in with the great and grand purpose of creation, that ours is the privilege of making your name look big in the eyes of our children. So multiply our wisdom in these short four weeks remaining as we talk parenting together. But light a fire under us to to figure this out and to grow and improve in in the way that we do this. Don't let us come next week without having prayed about parenting, without having wrestled with walking in the spirit before the eyes of our children. Don't let us forget that this is a journey of faith. Uh, We don't want to waste this week because there just aren't enough of them. So by your grace, help us to do what we ought to do this week as we parent well in Jesus' name. Amen.